This is the London FinTech Podcast, brought to you by your host, Mike Ballaman, bridging the worlds of suits and t-shirts, of finance and technology, bringing you insights, stories, and inspiration from the golden age of opportunity and innovation happening in London right now. Hi, this is Mike Ballaman, and this is London FinTech Podcast, episode 148 brought to you in association with Smart Pension, and I'm delighted to be joined today by William Russell, who is the 692nd Lord Mayor of London, to talk about the city, the role of the Lord Mayor, and UK and US cooperation in fintech. Back in the day, I worked with a chap who was to become, although he didn't know it at the time, the 687th Lord Mayor, and even further back in the day, as a young child, I was brought to London to see the Lord Mayor's procession, which many of you might have heard about. William's mayoral theme is Global UK Trade, Innovation and Culture, which is super important in this Brexiting age, as we discussed in the last episode with Anish Varma, founder of AIR. If Anish and many other folks are working on this bottom-up, what is happening top-down in the city? And when I say top-down, I really mean it. Within the city, the Lord Mayor is outranked only by Her Majesty the Queen. The phrase the city is generally used these days as a synonym for London's financial services slash financial services district although it has been some time now since a lot of that decamped to Canary Wharf. However, more precisely, the city is, roughly speaking, at one level a geographical area of local government, a quasi-borough of London, although at another level a ceremonial county, but let's not get bogged down in complexities. Talking of not getting bogged down, as it is ancient, it has all sorts of interesting features. For example, it owns some 10,000 acres of public spaces from Hampstead Heath to Riddlesdown Common, not far from where I live. By ancient, I mean it's perhaps the oldest continuous local government institution in the world. It even predates the invasion by those dastardly Normans in 1066. It is so old that I believe it even has a special legal category. Stripped to fancy legal mumbo-jumbo, it's assumed to be a corporation, as whatever documentation there was disappeared pre-1066. William the Conqueror gave it a charter, but this was merely formalising pre-existing rights. Anyway... We would need far more than one podcast to scratch the surface of what the city is, qua administrative slash governmental organisation. Suffice it to say that, on balance, over a millennia, it must have done a great job as the city moved from being London pretty much in its entirety, through all sorts of changes, to now being the premier FS location in the world. The use of the city as being synonymous with FS is neologistic. As I found last year, in the 16th century, say, London was pretty much the city, and the city then traded real stuff. Ships came up the Thames and unloaded them to the wharves. Neither money markets nor equities existed back in the day. Fast forward, and in the 21st century, the UK is the leading exporter of financial services across the world, houses more foreign banks and accounts for more international bank lending than any other centre. Anyway, all that's history. What matters today is today, or indeed what matters tomorrow is tomorrow. When I started in the city, there was no real difference between the city qua physical area and the city qua FS industry, the square mile denoting both. It's rather oddly called the square mile, oddly as it's more of a rectangle, and perhaps we'll let them off this latter. It isn't quite a square mile, but a square 1.12 miles. What role does the city play in FS in the 21st century? Innovation has been continuous over the millennia, but how does the corporation see its role today? And last but not least, we will hear about the Lord Mayor's work in promoting UK-US links specifically in the world of fintech. And fortunately for fintech, I believe his first international travel was actually promoting fintech. So we're not as unimportant as some of you may think. Plenty to talk about. 
So let's get on with the show. Good afternoon, Lord Mayor. Thank you for joining me today. Good afternoon, and thank you for having me. So I've spoken in recent podcasts, given our Brexiting age, about some of the strengths of the UK historically. One of the strengths that I've never quite perceived as a strength, and in fact I perceive it as a weakness, is the Christmas pantomime. And many people may know of the Lord Mayor of London from Dick Whittington, who was a chap who came to London because he'd heard the the streets were paved with gold and he had a, mm. a cat, I think, which caught the rats. So yeah. did you come to London because the streets were, were paved, paved with gold, gold or did you start here? So stepping back, I mean, it's wonderful you mentioned Dick Whittington. Um, I am the 692nd Lord Mayor and uh, nowadays the Lord Mayor is, uh, is just for a year from November to November. However, Dick Whittington was Lord Mayor four times and a very successful Lord Mayor in the 14th century indeed. I happen to be the fifth member of my family to be Lord Mayor since 1913. And uh, I started my uh, time in the city back in 1987, which I'm sure you remember well. Uh, I was working for First Boston at a training in New York when the crash happened and I thought I was going to be out of a job. Fortunately, that didn't happen. Fate is a strange thing. Exactly. <laughs> and, then, and then I moved uh, to Merrill Lynch for 14 years. I was fortunate enough to be based in Hong Kong. I was always on the equity side and then uh, lived in America, New York, and then came back here. And I left Merrill Lynch in in 2006. But after that, I tried to to do quite a lot of entrepreneurial things. I founded a co-founded a school for-profit school in Knightsbridge, funnily enough called Knightsbridge School, with a very good friend of mine called Mr. Magoo, and yes, he really is Mr. Magoo, and he's headmaster there. And then I got him, I'm a chairman of an asset management business now as well. But I've always been associated with the city, and it's something that's sort of been in my blood. I'm a Londoner uh, through and through. But in 2013, I decided that uh, maybe I should try um, the civic side and became the alderman of Bread Street, which is really Paternoster Square. And once you become an alderman, and just as you quite rightly described, the one square mile, there are 25 wards in the city of London, and each ward has an alderman, and it's elected by those in the city. The residents, of which there are about eight to 10,000, all have a vote, and all the companies have votes through the number of employees they have in the company, not every employee, because there are four or 500,000, well, over 500,000 people that come into the square mile every day. But it changes quite a lot, and it just would have been too, too complicated. So I got elected, and uh, you have to be sheriff, just so you know, which is even older office than the mayoralty. The shrievalty dates back to Saxon times. And, of course, everyone knows the most famous sheriff, which was the sheriff of Nottingham. But the sheriffs were all appointed by the monarch to collect the taxes, and uh, in 1132, there was a deal done. City, the City of London always liked deals with Henry I that we were able to choose our own sheriffs. And we have two sheriffs that live at the Old Bailey for a year, working alongside the Lord Mayor and, and helping manage the Old Bailey. So that's how I, I, I got involved in, uh, in, in going, becoming Lord Mayor. So you definitely haven't suffered from sort of sticking to one last for too long. There's been quite a variety there, including education. Yes. Sector. And uh, I am significantly restraining myself at this point because a lot in this is fascinating and it would be too crude to look at a thousand years and say x because of y but in terms of the governance of the city in current terms being anomalous i see that from a a positive perspective and my very poor understanding is that historically speaking before we had companies guilds were used for crafts guilds were used for merchants but guilds were also used for running towns and you know there's an essence of that there and in terms of the city which as you say is 
plenty of private individuals. But it's, certainly when I started in 85, it was almost entirely businesses. There, I mean, there, there were some, but uh, I think, I'm not sure whether um, the Barbican, that's uh, brought more... Residents. Residents. Yes. But back in the day, there were no hotels and there were next to no restaurants. So a lot of... And historically, of course, the city was London. But it, must, it can't be a coincidence that the city has had quite a business focus for centuries and centuries in terms of how successful FS has been. Because as I referred to, in the 16th century, there was no such thing as financial services in the slightest. Hmm. There were wine merchants, there was fruit and all sorts of stuff. So your predecessor a few centuries ago would have been concerned with merchant business, goods and and commodities, which of course then led to the growth of the commodities market. So thinking about far much further, the earliest written data we have is from 2000 BC in old Assyria, from one of their large colonies. And there bit like in London, actually. The government was in one place and the merchants were in another. Merchants were near the river and the merchants ran their own affairs. Mm. And unsurprisingly, businessmen know quite a bit about business and business benefits everyone. So this business focus in the city has probably been a very good thing, hasn't it, over centuries, on balance? I totally agree. I mean, the city is all about trade. And you have the livery companies and whether it's the fishmongers, the mercers, I happen to be a haberdasher, and when you were given your freedom of the city, you became a freeman of the city, pro- having been an apprentice in one of the, tra- uh, the livery companies. When you got the freedom, you were given a pass, and it was like a passport to riches. This was your pass to trade. So when you carried it around the square mile, you were able to trade, whether it's with the fishmongers or the butchers. And that is the city. And what's evolved over time is that we have innovated according to what's gone on in the world. So coming back to, to your point, actually it was after the fire of London that the insurance market, the famous story of the coffee shop, started in a coffee shop because there, no one was insured during the fire of London. So over the centuries, that is what's happened to the city. And now it's all about financial services. But more than just that, we now have this ecosystem. Not only do we have fintech, which you have mentioned, but uh, this morning I was at a meeting for a COP26. Green finance, I believe, is the next fintech. Massive opportunity. I'm sure you'll do a podcast next time on uh, green finance. But it, it is, it, this is the strength of why London, without a doubt, is the greatest city of the world. And it's our history, which I'm no offense, and I've lived in New York. It's my second favorite city. But we just have this history that you have described so well, from the livery companies and the trade going into to financial services, going into fintech, green finance, whatever what is going to be next, we're at the heart of it. And that's also why I'm so optimistic post-Brexit, because at the end of the day, the pool of capital, the liquidity is here. And this is one of the great places to, 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 to live. And just to finish on that note, as you said, you know, my mission is Global UK Trade, Innovation and Culture. And I'm on the board of Guildhall School of Music and Drama and the Barbican, which you mentioned, which is uh, you know, one of the great art, artistic centres. People want to live in the city of London, in London as a whole, because it's the best place that we have, 110 theatres. That's the talent that comes here that no other city can attract, in my humble opinion. Absolutely. Well, it's a good point to move on to the Lord Mayor's role. I didn't know whether you've heard one small story about the, the Great Fire. I've forgotten the statistics, but it was a complete bloody disaster. I didn't know. It was, it's like two-thirds of the homes built down, yes. burnt down. I mean, it's just phenomenal devastation. Absolutely. Utter devastation. But not many lives lost. No. But going back to the, the fact that I'm, as I've lost, something of a, an expert on the governance of the East India Company, there's a great story about the East India Company who were in Philpot Lane, yes. uh, which is where I walked past to 
climb once for well over a decade. Well, there's now an Indian restaurant called The Spice Trader, which I didn't realise at the time was a reference to that. Anyway, the fire of London came extremely close to them. They were very close to being wiped out. But an official threw a hat full of gold coins into the edge of the fire... And the city's always understood the value of incentives and yeah. this sort of encouraged the firemen and the fire just stopped short of them. OK, so having set up the background of yeah. the city, what it is, and it has this unique pro-business focus, whilst, as you say, in the modern age, covering anything, not just arts, but as I understand also that the city lo- looks after courts and looks yeah. after police and, and does a fantastic job on things like Riddles Down Common um, and other such places around London, which I think has kept them free of developers far more efficiently than perhaps it would have been if they were otherwise owned and organised. So we've got this business context. Before we get specifically into the Lord Mayors and what their rules are and then your specific mission, it was a little bit of a shock, as I recall, when um, plenty of people decamped to Canary Wharf, as I recall at the time, and I wasn't really paying attention, but there was a feeling that, that we didn't need to develop this sort of quite nice buildings that we had in the city and all that kind of stuff, which I was very much in, in, in favour of. I quite like a lot of the old buildings. We're in Mansion House here, which there's still quite a lot of nice buildings around that. And perhaps the, uh, the city corporation was a bit slow at the time with that. Anyway, for a whole bunch of reasons, Canary Wharf grows up and it is there now and the Canary Wharf's there and the city's there and both seem to be quite full, actually. So everyone's benefited. And I understand that you have these roles in arts and, and all this. But just looking at the segment of it, which is financial services first, and then we can mm-hmm. narrow down on the fintech work. The segment that's in financial services, how has the city corporation and how have the mayors seen their roles in sort of terms of being double-hatted, one with, with, with respect to which you are, quotes the square, square mile, and that's the domain, yeah. but another, people like me, I say the city all the time, and when I say the city, I tend to mean financial services in London. Agreed. The best description is I'm the ambassador for financial and professional services for the whole of the UK. So it's not just the city. And that's the really important thing to understand. And that employs 2.3 million people. Two-thirds of the jobs in that sector are outside the city. So I always use the line, who's the largest private sector employer in Dorset? It's JP Morgan. They have their back office in Bournemouth. I was in Edinburgh last week talking to Financial Service Up. It's the second largest financial centre outside London particularly in asset management. So our relationship with Canelf is a good one. We aren't territorial about just being in the square mile. Uh, and I think that is what has changed a great deal. You're absolutely right. The Lord Mayor's role was very city-centric, but it's now the whole of financial and professional service. And to be frank, I'm probably the first Lord Mayor that will go to every single one of the regions. Uh, we have a UK strategy at the City of London Corporation. I've already visited Uh, Leeds, Manchester, Birmingham, Belfast and Edinburgh and I'm going to visit Cardiff. I'm an alumni of Durham so we've got to go and visit my friends in the North East as is the Lady Mayoress so we'll go to Durham and Newcastle. But it's almost, that was part of uh, a call to action to to explain to uh, Andy Burnham, Andy Street that we're here to help. Yes, we understand the levelling up that's going to take place and we're pro that. However, the gateway, and they respect this a lot, the gateway to the whole of the UK is London, and, and, and particularly the city of London, through the, its financial services, which are such a large percentage of the country's GDP. Yes, if for us Brits living on this island the last three years have, at times, no matter where you are on the political spectrum or the in-out spectrum, been rather stressful, then hopefully the next few years are going to be rather interesting, because not Thank only you. do we have this Brexiting opportunity and returning to a more 
global role. Although, as Robert Toombs has pointed out, our share of trade with the world has been increasing for quite some time regardless already. But a new political emphasis has been because of the way that politics has developed on, as you say, the north. And in terms of the cities, you mentioned I come from Birmingham. And uh, although it's been quite some time since I lived up there, other than my children also telling me I'm, I'm from the north of England, <laughs> I always have a wry smile when I see the sort of slightly loose journalist talking about Birmingham as the North, as my statistic on this is that, uh, and especially for the overseas listeners, but for those of you who didn't look at an atlas and get your ruler out, in terms of the United Kingdom, Birmingham is 20% of the way up the United Kingdom, i.e. firmly in the bottom (laughs) southern quartile. And if you're purely talking about England, Birmingham is one third of the way uh, up England. So, you know, I have heard various politicians, not here, but in Westminster, talking about HS2 is really good to connect the north to London. It's not, <laughs> not, uh, not that north. But uh, again, it's, it's almost that along with changes in industries, coal mining and steel were big things when I was a kid in the, the <clears> 60s and 70s, and they are not now. The world changed. That was, you know, due to nobody. That's just how things go. It's almost been that the, the super success of London and the change in structure has meant that places that were formerly extremely prosperous, like Liverpool and Bristol and Manchester, these great industrial centres uh, and ports, have somewhat atrophied. And I'm certainly super excited, as long as it's reality and not PR, about this whole idea of free ports. Mm. Because one of the disappointments of the tech age, which has probably been going on for 20-odd years, I've had my first laptop 20 years ago, and now we've all got phones and that kind of stuff, has that I kind of bought into this myself for a while, which is, you know, the beach lifestyle. You can take your laptop anywhere. Mm. And this is true. I actually, I've released podcasts from Thailand and, and all sorts of stuff via my phone. But the irony is that, notwithstanding which, the population of London goes up and more and more business yeah. comes here. So it is in everybody's benefit, even just from a simple selfish commuters benefit about not wanting more and more people on the train, as well as the benefit of the vast majority of the population who don't live in London, to ensure that we get great business centres around yes. the country. And I think lots of people share that aspiration. But as I say, I'm, I'm still waiting for the rollout of the, of the master plan. So on my visits, the one thing that really uh, struck me is how the, uh, the universities aligning themselves to business much more than ever before. So let's take Leeds as an example. So Leeds is, I think, if I remember rightly, 32,000 graduates, the third largest university uh, in the UK. And Leeds is probably has quite a bit of a fintech cluster as well. I think they have five headquarters from retail banks in Leeds. So let's say it's the retail banking sort of sector that they're good at. But it was very noticeable how they're determined to keep their graduates uh, around Leeds. And I do think there's a change, whereas you and I, um, when I was at university, it was all coming to the city, all coming to London, whereas nowadays the millennials do think a little differently. And what you're discovering, what we're discovering, is that there's much more of a social purpose and, and a bit more a lifestyle. And as you say, I'm, I'm sure you're much better at tech than I am, but um, you know, they are wizards at, uh, at the various technology, and you can do so much from not necessarily being in London. And to be frank, London is incredibly expensive, particularly for the youth. So there is a change happening. Uh, The other thing that's happening, and I don't want to get onto fintech too quickly for you, but fintech is more than just London. We have this wonderful ecosystem in London where everyone can walk everywhere. And I always use the comment about New York's the financial centre, but the tech is 5,000 miles away. We have everything And the government is a few hundred south. Exactly. And then we have... So, but what's happening is that I'm discovering quite a lot of fintech companies who are based here, you know, also have people 
in other parts of the country. I mean, as you mentioned, we talked about Ratesetter earlier. Ratesetter have an office in Bishopsgate here in the city, but they have a whole lot of people in Leicester. So it, it is a, it's very exciting, that space. And the university is so Belfast, Queen's College Belfast, Belfast becoming a bit of a cyber security centre. And I tell you, there is a remarkable fintech company in Derry, Londonderry, called Fintrue. 315 people are employed there. Their head council used to work for Linklaters. Now gone back to Northern Ireland, and lifestyle is part of that, uh, that reason. So there is a change, but the good news is, and you probably know the stats, but, but uh, I'm pretty sure, well, it's over 40% of the employees in fintech in London are from outside the UK. And that's London's attraction. If you're going to come from you know, France, no offense to, to any of the cities outside London, if you're going to come from, from Europe, coming to work in London is part of the attraction. Yes, absolutely. And on last time's episode was a great example. Anish Farmer, having lived in 11 countries and had business in four, has now been living here for, for 15 years, creating employment and creating one of the best ones. And I can think of a fintech in Northern Ireland. I yeah. can think of a professional services company. There's a lot of people up there and in Scotland. And even back in the day, back in the day, merchant banks, old Climates had their back office in Newbury. Yes. And Greaves and Grant had theirs in Tunbridge Wells. So as you say, quite rightly, it's, um, you've identified it very clearly. There were a number of strands which are all going together here and uh, let's hope that they, along with a little bit of government um, nudging things in the right direction, work out. So coming on to your mission, Lord Mayor, the global UK and the trade, innovation and culture, specifically on the fintech, I did see this uh, statistic that, and this is very quotable, the current Lord Mayor of London's first international trip was to San Francisco and was on behalf of waving the fintech flag. So maybe you'd like to tell the listeners a little bit about what you're doing. As you say, your ambassadorial role, trying to help things. What did you gain from that as somebody who has been in the city for years and knows quite a bit about FS and all that kind of stuff? Well, we took a trip to to San Francisco and we took some fintech companies and we took some some VCs, one from Manchester and one uh, a couple from London. Actually, one from Anthemist. Well, you will know Anthemist because they're a big, that's all they invest in is fintech. And uh, and we took them with us to go and visit US VCs. And previously, before we burned it, we'd had US VCs over here as well. We'd had a forum literally a month before that trying to t- talk, establish a relationship with the US VCs about you know, with London and the ecosystem of fintech. And I'm sure you've heard one of the uh, issues with fintech in, in, in uh, the UK is that series A, B and C, that, that, you know, where, where, where there's, where's that money coming from? And that's, uh, to be frank, a bigger topic because a lot of it, I think government needs to probably say pension funds, probably through incentives to invest more in, in some private, invest, private equity investments rather than bonds and, and property and, uh, and equities. But in the meantime, we have no problem with startups. You all know about EIS and SEIS, and there's a huge amount of money for startups, uh, particularly in the fintech space. But it's that next stage. And uh, we met with a number of VCs. I mean, it must have been at least over, over 15 VCs in the States. And we saw Silicon Valley Bank and Wilson Sonsini, who, who, are, who are on the, um, who are the lawyers, and uh, in this space, and actually they have an office over here. And what we discovered is that they were fascinated by fintech. They think it's a huge opportunity. They'd started, some of them, to, to set up offices here. I mean, you saw just last week, I wish I could say that one of my jobs was to persuade Sequoia to come and set up an office here, but Sequoia looks like they're going to set up an office here because they're recognizing that there's still, it's early days in the fintech, uh, fintech cycle. 
And they, they do look at things differently, as you and I discussed previous to this. Um, you know, the bottom line and profitability in EBITDA is just not on uh, a lot of VCs, uh, wave, uh, you know, their targets. And we did meet Robin Hood, and, you know, there is, Robin Hood is, I read, what I knew about them starting over here, and they're about to start over here, and that's going to be an interesting, interesting uh, uh, space for them to how they do here. So it worked very well. I think the other thing I would stress about the mayoralty is, uh, and, and we talk about it, but it is probably the single you know, most powerful element of being Lord Mayor of the City of London is that soft convening power. You're able to open doors that, to be frank, the five or six of the fintechs, and we do, we, we, we get feedback, and the feedback was the same from all of them. Thank you. We met VCs and companies that we would never have had the chance to as individuals, and that's part of the delegation. And, you know, some of the things that we met Salesforce Ventures, because Salesforce has their own ventures bit, um, Anthemis have already built a relationship with them. Uh, our friends Accelerist, who came from Manchester, have continuing a conversation with a, a VC in San Francisco called General Catalyst, and, and dozens have been contacted by other West Coast VCs. You know the ecosystem. Everyone talks to each other, and we did quite a lot of media. The Lord Mayor of the City when London was in town, and it was all about fintech, and we got a lot of feedback that was very positive. We have the IFGS uh, summit here in April. We've invited all of them over. That's the big fintech summit, which you also know about, run by Innovate Finance. It's the fifth year. And then, you know, that's part of fintech week. You'll be pleased to know that government and private sector have joined up now on these weeks. So people come over for the whole week. And it's worked very well. And it's just establishing, the, as I said, those relationships. And there will, things have already come, come of it. But now, you know, we'll be going back and forth a bit more. Excellent. Well, that's very interesting. I think the other aspect of that, which I quite like, is the sort of oiling the wheels, the, mixing my metaphors, that is Friday afternoon, yes. oiling the wheels, <laughs> soft power, and all that kind of stuff. In terms of FinTech Week, I think that the Mayor's FinTech Week in um, 2014 was the one that sort of pretty much kicked things off mm. and put the word FinTech into the broadsheet yes. back in the day, and that was very successful. And then, as you say, things multiply and need pulling back a little bit together again. And I think one of the reasons I quite like the approach, just personally, the, the approach that you're outlining, that it is there to facilitate business. I'm reading Hayek's Road to Serfdom, mm. which he wrote, wrote in 1944. And when Lord Turner was on the show, he was talking about the, the, the super long cycles of regulation and all that kind of stuff. And cut a long story short, I'll add a bit to the beginning. In the 19th century, Britain was very minarchistic. I think in 1914, the colonial office, which ran a quarter of the world, had 100 staff. Even in America, was minarchistic. In America, I came across this stat recently. In, in 1914, the federal government spent 3% of the money and the local states spent 6%. So the 19th century was very small government. Mm. Business got on and did stuff. We had the disaster of the First World War. The Second World War, absolute state centralism running everything. And uh, Hayek wrote this very informative and influential book, although it took quite a while to get some traction, was Lord Turner's point, probably until the 1980s. Uh, Margaret Thatcher picked it up again, arguing that actually free markets, that price mechanism is a way that billion people can self-organise their day-to-day work mm. on information that they can never require for people they will never meet. And the whole system generates prosperity. And apropos your time in Hong Kong, if you haven't come across it, uh, I highly recommend uh, the book, or um, if you didn't have time for the book, James Denning pulled it a podcast with him, by Neil Monnery on, I think it's John Capperthwaite, 
who was the Treasury Secretary of Hong Kong after the Second World War, who was fantastically free market. He was so free market that for quite a few years he banned the collection of government statistics on the basis that if they did that somebody would, um, would do something with the, the stats. And Hong Kong was a disaster after the Japanese had uh, mm. looked after it, shall we say, in the Second World War. These days I think they've, got, they've gone, I can't remember, for the sake of argument it was one-fifth GDP per capita of the UK or a tenth or something. Mm. Now they're twice the GDP per capita. Anyway, that's a really in- interesting one. And just looking at the recent elections, the one perspective that I feel is, is missing, and sometimes the, the government goes in that direction, sometimes it doesn't. And I think it's something the city will have understood because the city's been very business-focused, which is to have a lot of faith. It's a bit like being a parent, really, to have faith when your kids are in their 20s. They seem to be doing the wrong thing, but they'll work their way through it. And to the same extent, if one can facilitate and enable... Yeah. The private markets do a lot. I mean, there was, a, there was some nonsense going around about five years ago in the early days of fintech, which is, oh, financial services doesn't innovate. Having been in it for decades, having been a global head of risk and tried to control everything in the, in the 90s, problem in financial services globally since I started in 1985 was not the lack of innovation. It was excessive innovation. It was too much innovation. So innovation and business happened spontaneously. And the sort of the trend for governments around the world just getting out of the way and letting them get on with it is sometimes in abeyance. So I just like this soft power approach, this facilitation. Hmm. So along that line, it's very interesting hearing what you're achieving out there. And having been independent myself for 20 years, I know that a large part of the challenge is getting the door open in the first place. Yes. So if anybody opens the door for you in any regard... Agreed. ...as immensely helpful, because you can then do your tap dance, and they either like your tap dance or they don't, and, and you move on somewhere if they don't, and, and if you do, you can stay and keep dancing. Anyway, before we wrap up the show, time has flown by, I'd like to thank all the listeners out there, whether you go to pantomimes or not, and I'd like to thank my brand partner for the podcast, Smart Pension, who are fast, secure and free. Check out their UK workplace pensions at auto enrolment. .co.uk. So, Lord Mayor, we've got to the dessert course. Normally at this stage I ask the, the company, you are a corp- corporation uh, collectively, if they want to flag wave on their behalf. But I, I, I don't believe you can actually buy shares in the, <laughs> in the Corporation of yeah. London. If you could, I should have bought some a few centuries ago. But what would you like to, to tell the listeners in, in the remaining few minutes that you think would be useful for them to know? So what I think may be useful to, 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 to know is, you're, as I said, you're Lord Mayor for a year, you have your theme, but sometimes something comes across your desk and you know that that is going to be the major event of your year. And quite simply, it's green finance, COP26, all roads lead to Glasgow. This is one of the biggest moments, I think, for the city, for the UK, and the City of London Corporation to really show true leadership. I was fortunate enough to be in Davos, probably the first and last time I'll go to Davos, but those who've been to Davos for many years said it was the best Davos they've ever, ever seen. It was remarkable. You could feel the momentum. As individuals, we need to do the right thing. As corporates, we need to do the right thing. And we're very fortunate here in the city that just across the road is the Bank of England. And Mark Carney, being one of the, 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 the top leaders in his field, is leading the charge around COP26. And uh, we will know probably next week, probably when this podcast goes out, who the minister is going to be in charge. But it's a massive opportunity. And I would really say green finance... Uh, as the Governor of Bank of England says, the, you know, the three R's, uh, reporting, risk assessment, and, and return. And there are huge returns to be made in green finance, sustainable finance. And that would be my message to everybody.
Right, so you've heard it here first. That's a tip from the top. I haven't actually seen many uh, fintechs involved in it yet, but no doubt they all, like everything else, need to get started soon, especially if we're going to sort of scrap yes. cars in 15 years or, or whatever yeah. we're about to do. A lot will have to happen in a short period of time. I suspect it will all be postponed in the way of things, but regardless whether it's 15 years or 25 years, I think the direction of travel is very, very clear, so you younger chaps can start now. So uh, thank you very much for that, Lord Mayor, and I wish you every success in your year and in encouraging encouraging trade, innovation and culture under Global UK. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. If you have consulting, advisory slash non-exec or media needs in the FS or fintech space, get in touch with me at mike at londonfintechpodcast.com. Sitting in a vendor all day Watching the firelight dance Watching the firelight dance We could walk in the mountains before dawn Watching a happy moon ride Watching a happy moon ride Come away from the city But with the tarmac so dead And the people so sad Come away from the city But with the faces so grey Mountains and the trees Can you see what I mean? Can you see what I mean? We fit in between the earth and the sky Kiss the city goodbye Wave the city goodbye Wave the city goodbye City goodbye. Watch the firelight dance with me. 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 Watch the firelight.